0: Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome
1: to Episode 61. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shay. We're continuing the focus on data this week. We were uh, pleased to meet Carol Rizmokowicz, the CDO at the Office of Inspector General HHS, on last week's episode. And data is something, as I said at the beginning of, of the last program, that you have been interested in for decision-making
0: in government for a really long time. That's right. The Commission... <laughs> Uh-huh. I do this to myself. Evidence-based policymaking. Made I do this to Substantive myself. recommendations to strengthen the governance of over data, uh, which found their way into the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. Chris uh, Rowley is the chief data. I'm just going to start talking because we have we've, a all, we've heard it before. This new law. We've heard
1: it all before. Chris Rowley is the chief data officer at the General Services Administration. Chris, welcome. We go through this Thank every you. time that he gets an, an opening on this commission on evidence, commissioner business. Anyway, welcome to the program and thank you for coming. Thank you. You don't have to call me commissioner. (laughs) No, in fact, I recommend against it, (laughs) if if at all possible. Um, What do you think is the biggest challenge to the chief data officer in any federal organization today?
2: Um, I I think it kind of depends on if you're new uh, or if you've been around for a few years. And I think, uh, initially, the, the open data effort of several years ago that have sort of matured uh, and, and pushed the role of the chief data officers within federal agencies uh, has been something that's been evolving over the last couple of years. So agencies that have had chief data officers for three four years tend to have people who have found their way into their organization and found their niche. Uh, sometimes that's more on the technology side. Sometimes it's more on the decision-making policy side. Sometimes it's still focused very heavily on open data. Uh, I think all of those things are are great things. And I I do think the evidence and foundations, Bill, kind of started to tie all that together. Please don't give
0: him any credit.
2: I'm taking no credit. Please. I'm taking no credit. (laughs) Uh, I do think it kind of tied everything nicely together and formalized that role a little bit. I think the, some of the challenges are for new agencies who are looking at it and thinking I need to hire somebody, mm-hmm. what skills do they really need to have and what should they be focused on?
0: And, and those, those will be hard skills to get. Talk about the challenges you face in recruiting people with the skills you need to do the job.
2: When you think about the skills around data work, it, it goes from really understanding uh, back-end technology databases in some cases mainframe computers, some cases, cloud computing capabilities, all the way through data ingest into an environment which you can do some transformational work or predictive analysis or machine learning. And then going all the way further to that is being able to present your analysis, visualize it, talk about it, communicate it, and provide recommendations off of it so someone can then act or make a decision on it. Um, That end-to-end skill set is very challenging to find. Uh, and usually, in most cases, you'll find two or three people you'll couple together in a, on a team to do a project using all of those skills.
1: So, you mentioned one of the buzzword technologies that people are all worked up about in government right now machine learning. There's artificial intelligence, and there are a number of others. How are those going to be practical, do you think, for people, for data practitioners, whether at the CDO level or further down, in the soon? to near future. Uh, It's a terrible term.
2: I think in the short term, I I think that um, people are going to be developing machine learning capabilities, uh, both from a coding perspective. Some people will write their own scripts using specific algorithms. Uh, And I do think there are some technology coming with with out-of-the-box software that allows people to do more drop, point, and click capabilities. Uh, I see, and one of the things I've been focusing on Uh, is talking to people about the algorithms and about the way in which the predictive models are spitting out outcomes or Mm -hmm. spitting out predictions, uh, is to be able to make the decision makers comfortable with those algorithms, what they're including, what they're not including. And a good example that people know a lot about is, you know, a hurricane model. When they forecast hurricanes coming into the East Coast, sometimes they come in, sometimes, you know, the European model has it going out to sea. Well, those are still all models that people have built to do this prediction, and they just include variables and exclude other variables. They make
0: assumptions. They
2: make some assumptions. So how do you explain, as someone building a machine learning model or building something to do predictive analytics, how are you explaining those variables to executives so they know exactly what they're including? When
0: and they're trust interested? them, right? They, they've got to trust that what, what's, what the algorithm is spitting out is something on which they can make decisions or which they can trust the decisions that are being made.
2: Correct. Especially when you're thinking about outliers, you know, a lot of these models exclude outliers to some percentage. Maybe they're uh, excluding 20% of the outliers, maybe they're only excluding 1%. Knowing that can uh, impact the way in which you make a decision.
1: What do you see as being the things that chief data officers will need to be able to do or know or what's the skill set look like for these organizations that are going out and recruiting them for the first time or maybe the second time? That are kind of new in this journey still.
2: It, it is going to vary, and it's going to, especially in the federal government. We we all do very different businesses or different programs, um, and, and I would imagine that if you're one that's in the financial industry, you're going to be, uh, I think, doing more on the predictive modeling and more of the machine learning and more on the technical side. Uh, if you're doing something, uh, you know more on the decision-making of broader, larger policies, you're going to need some of those soft skills to be able to present some of this analysis and talk about it. In the end, you're going to need a background in, that's tech-heavy and soft-skill-heavy uh, at both ends, Less, probably less hands-on uh, than a lot of people think. Uh, I think you, you see some data scientists out there being hired who are really hands-on technical experts. Uh, that that could work uh, in some program areas, but I think in most cases, it's going to be people who are going to be speaking more from a policy perspective
0: and so you and I were talking a little bit about this uh, before where does the C chief data officer sit um, in some agencies it's within the office of the chief and, uh, information officer others it's outside of it I think I can guess your answer from your previous discussion but tell me where you think the CDO ought to fit across government
2: I think you know you're starting to see one of two models Uh, kind of be adopted there there may be others I'm I'm sure there are but most in most cases it's within the office of the chief information officer and and I think uh, the reason for that is that's where a lot of the resources are for the CDO to be successful through FITARA you're pushing a lot of money through the CIO organization and those resources are necessary in order to set up a technical foundation to do this work. Um, the other model is is uh, closely aligning with a senior leadership who's acting as a chief operating officer, a chief executive officer. Uh, these are organizations that um, still have high dependencies on the CIO to be successful, but tend to be focused more on the mission and the, the reason for the existence of the data.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you see a force multiplier type effect if there were to be some kind of, maybe there's something that exists and I don't know about it, but I'm not aware of like a chief data officer council like we have with the CIO council and Chico council and so was actually established
0: on. in the foundations for evidence based policymaking, which, as you know, resulted from recommendations of the Commission on Evidence Based Policymaking. You can't edit this out either. I I heard someone speaking, but I didn't. It was kind of like Charlie
1: Brown's teacher. It didn't really register. <laughs> It, is there a force multiplier potential there yeah. for an organization like that? I, I think
2: you have to, uh, specifically when you're talking about, I mean, forget all the, the things that we've just been talking about, technology and soft skills and decision making, uh, but if we're going to get into the core of doing solid data work, we're going to need consistent ways in which we hire people and recruit people to do this type of work, uh, similar to any of the other functions that we do in government. Because you're
0: competing with for, for those resources, yes. not just money, but people? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to compete for money. You're going to compete for people uh, in, in an area that you know, has a, a very low unemployment rate for people with these skill sets. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very difficult to hire them. We have to figure out where do we find these people, how do we recruit them, and then is there a way that we can start targeting these things? Uh, one of the interesting uh, you know, tidbits uh, on, on hiring is when you're starting to look for someone to do data work, uh, the natural tendency is to put them in an IT category, to make them an IT specialist. Uh, I think that a lot of our program and business offices are going to have to hire people with these skill sets but aren't going to want to call them technology specialists so how do we how do we start to adopt the way in which we classify data data and data work? Mm-hmm.
1: So the policy governance and all of that that we've talked about is certainly important uh, it's it's tremendously useful. Tell me some of the things that you're seeing differences in in the way the GSA is able to deliver results either for their customers or taxpayers or both in because they have access to better information, more organized, whatever the benefit is. How is that turning into better policy or better decision-making, better buying, et cetera?
2: You know, I, I think when, when I uh, started uh, Data Governance uh, Council at GSA and tried to bring in a lot of, uh, you know, the high-ranking executives in the agency to talk mm-hmm. about them. Um, usually when, when I walk in the room and start talking to somebody about data governance, our eyes kind of gloss over, they look at me a little hazed out.
0: Uh, you're, you're among
2: friends. Yes, right. but when I ta- ask them the question of, are you getting all of the information you need, at the quality you need it, at the time you need it in order to make decisions to run your business? If the answer to that question is yes, I'm happy to leave here <laughs> and consider this a success. And no one's going to really say yes to that. Most people are going to say, no, I have these challenge areas. And I try to make every data governance conversation, um, while there's always going to be a higher level strategies and policies, try to make it very real and actionable to something that concerns that group. Uh, So try to figure out what are your problems, let me help your problem, your specific problem of your day, which is usually something that happened to them earlier in the day or within the last week, uh, and then try to make the governance relate to them.
1: So pursuant to that, Ben, I think it's interesting that, for now at least, the best place for you to live is in the CIO's office when maybe at some point in the future that won't necessarily be the case because you're a facilitator of all of the elements of the agency's business. And maybe it doesn't make a difference, but it strikes me that if people should think of you as a facilitator, well, maybe I'm talking myself out of this position, actually. Because in a FATARA environment, stick with me, okay? Okay. In a FATARA environment, I guess IT is intended to become the facilitator of all of the other elements of business of the organization anyway and not just the technical person or technical organization that makes sure your email works. So maybe it does make sense for you to stay there in perpetuity. I'm noodling all this through as we're having this conversation, so apologies for the chaotic nature of my thought process.
2: No, it comes up a lot. The conversation comes up a lot. and, and um I think, like, mature organizations that have a solid IT foundation to do this type of work, uh, the CDO would be the business owner of that capability, mm-hmm. but the money and the technical work would stay in the CIO, and the CDO would drive priorities and, and uh, uh, help facilitate and negotiate decision-making
1: capability. So Carol talked about that last week, and, and she has the same situation. That's where the money is, yeah. and so that's why that's the best place Um, for many CDOs to be. Do you expect that could change over time as the sources of the money understand that this is not just an information technology function, that this is a function that supports the entire business operation of the organization?
2: No, I, I think the technology platform and funding will stay within the CIO for software tools, for anything new that we are trying to uh, purchase or procure okay. to fas- to facilitate this. However, I would say the bigger transition is the people who do the work, the people who are going to come in and consume Ooh. the data to do predictive modeling. Historically, even five, seven years ago, most of those people sat in the CIO. I think in the next five years, 80 to 90% of those people will not be in CIO organizations. And that's going to be the change in the cultural adaption that I think um, uh, some CIO communities are going to have to figure out. We're standing up this platform, but we no longer are the people you come to to work. We just make sure that you have the tools, the data, and the, the right access.
0: Uh, can you give us some practical stories about business improvements you've seen as a result of, of greater reliance on data analytics, machine learning, AI?
2: Um, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, doing machine learning modeling and, and, and building some of those. We, we, we've started to, you know, roll out a, a handful of different capabilities in machine learning. Some of which is, you know, training models to be able to search for 508 compliance on websites, to be able to give indications of uh, when you see something like this, it means it's not uh, compliant, and then it learns. Uh, but that, in, you know, the, the folks who've been working on that in our Office of Governmentwide Policy have have really spent a lot of time manually training these models to say this is compliant, this is not compliant, and then get to a point where the machine can uh, accurately predict when something is is uh, is not 508 compliant 90% of the time, something like that. Um, so that's, that's and we have, a, we have a couple of other uh, machine learning models we're working. On the data analytics side, um, I think we've really uh, have matured a lot on the visualization tools and the storytelling aspects of data uh, and doing a much better job of trying to develop a uh, consistent data management strategy where we're consuming data once for multiple purposes. Uh, I think in a lot of organizations that are larger, uh, down at the individual levels, people pull together data and do a report. And as that information goes up the chain of command, uh, the timing in which it was pulled, the system in which it was pulled out of, sometimes the data conflicts with each other. Uh, And that drives uh, an assumption by leadership that they have poor data quality. When really you don't have poor data quality, you just have bad data practices that result in conflicting information. Uh, So we've done a a much better job of trying to identify who's all-consuming data and what are they using it for to try to make the information more consistent.
1: Chris Rowley, the Chief Data Officer at the General Services Administration. So how was it? Your first FedHeads experience? Yeah, it
2: was fantastic.
1: Great
0: to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The FedHeads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector.